to grasp how high and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And Father, I pray that each one of us would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And to you, who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us, to you be the glory in the church, in the body of Christ, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul uses this word fullness multiple times in Ephesians and and his other letters, uh, specifically his letter to the Colossians. So what exactly does Paul mean by what he says? What does he mean that, that we would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God? What does fullness mean? That's the first thing that I want to look at this morning is the fullness of God. Well, first of all, in Colossians, Paul reveals that God's fullness dwells in Christ Jesus. Jesus had the fullness of God. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says it this way, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus Christ. I mean, to me, that's kind of easy to acknowledge. Jesus was God. It was clear through all that he did while he was on the earth. He was supernaturally conceived. He had control over nature and disease. He did miracle upon miracle. He healed. He walked on water. He made water into wine. He fulfilled prophecy after prophecy after prophecy and ultimately proved power over even death. It's clear that Jesus was God. When Jesus ascended into heaven before the very eyes of the, of the disciples, there was no doubt. Jesus was the Messiah. He was God. It's explained in John chapter 1, and I paraphrase. In the beginning, Jesus already existed. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Jesus is God, and as such, he was all, uh, he had all the fullness of God. Uh, Character, personality, power, presence, purity, holiness, righteousness, grace, forgiveness, love, and the list goes on. And for us, then, when we are in Christ, meaning when we have surrendered our life to him, and he has adopted us into the family of God, in Christ, Paul says, we also have been brought to the fullness, the fullness of God. Colossians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul describes this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you, us, have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So the bar has been set. 
If you could picture a high jump bar or a pole vault bar with me. The bar has been set. That's the race that we're running. That's the staircase that Paul is praying that we will ascend. Paul yearns for us to ascend that. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, God says this, because you're thinking, as I did as I prepared for this message, how is it even possible for me to have the fullness of God? I am but a human being. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, God says this, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Okay. I need to be holy like God. That is not a bar down here, is it? Holiness. That's a high bar. Can we be holy? In and of ourselves, I would say no. But we sure are called to to try, to work at it. Jesus, many times Paul calls us to be like Christ, to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a pretty high bar as I think about it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, perfection, the unblemished lamb, and I am supposed to have the same attitude as he does. Can we succeed again? I would say no. But that's where the bar is set. Clearing that bar completely without knocking it off will only happen on the other side of eternity. When we have been glorified, will we only then be in the place where we will be holy and like Christ. That, however, does not give us the excuse to not pursue the fullness of God. Now, I'm not talking salvation. I am talking sanctification. I'm not talking eternal life. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. I'm talking about living a righteous life, a holy life. Jesus, or just as a teacher wants to continue to grow and be a better teacher, right? I mean, um, maybe you've had a teacher who was, you know, they'd, they'd done their time, they're, they're just working out their days, and they're not trying to be a better teacher, they're still using the same methods as they used 20 years ago, and you just think, they could be better. Um, good teachers are continually trying to learn and will tell their, their pupils, a good student constantly tries to learn, or an athlete continues to work on being better at their sport. A good athlete continues to work hard at being better at their sport. A mountain climber prepares for that next climb, that next 14er, that next highest mountain. In order to be able to complete that, they need to work a little bit harder than they did for the last one because it's going to expect different things from them at different times on this climb. Paul likens the Christian life to a race, does he not? Uh been finally, you know when you buy an elliptical or a treadmill and you use it regularly for about two weeks, and then you hang clothes on it for the rest of the time that it's in your house until you finally move it to the garage and then decide to get rid of it? Well, we did that about a year and a half ago, got an elliptical, worked on it regularly, 
And then, and then we did this big yard project, and we thought that was our exercise. And once we got done with the yard project, we were so tired that we were like, forget it. And it just sat there till a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, we have this little iPad thing and these trainers that, you know, you've seen the commercials, right? Um, and they're like... Uh, one of the trainers a couple days said, you really liking me right now, right? Yeah, not, uh-uh. I mean, I'm yelling at her. Her husband has taken me on a few others. I'm doing this series, and, and we're in St. Lucia, and we're climbing these mountains, and, and the, the resistance goes from like 5 to 19, and we're climbing up these rocks, etc. And And I had to do the same one three times so that I could stop lowering the resistance mid-exercise. Mid my daughter was like, you did the same one three times? I'm like, yeah, I wasn't going to quit that one until I could do it without stopping, <laughs> without cheating. And multiple times the trainers are like, you're looking for an out, aren't you? And I'm like, yes, and the button's right there. <laughs> but the more we work, the more I work, the harder I work. Last night when I, when I did the one, it's, we're getting close to the end of this series, and he's talking about, what are you going to do next? You better know what you're going to do next. Don't give up. Don't quit. At one point in the workout, he said, it's easier now than it was two weeks ago, isn't it? And I had to agree, it is. You know, the resistance of seven and eight, working hard at 80% effort is, is easier than it was three weeks ago. That's the Christian life. It really is. Um, the more we trust, the more we... Uh, th- that's what Paul is praying for us and uh, that we're going to see today too. Pray, Paul prays for the Ephesians and for us that we will still have... The, the, Paul is praying for us that we would grow into the fullness. So he's saying, we still have room. We still have room. As vessels, no matter where we are in our walk and journey with Jesus Christ, we still have room. And we're to continue in life open to being filled more and more and more with the Spirit. And, and that the church, although already has the fullness of Christ, is to still grow up in him till it reaches fullness. Filled up to God's fullness, or said another way, growth into fullness. So as we've been, as we've been doing this staircase, right, uh, Paul's been praying for strength, strength to say yes to Jesus, strength to walk with him every day, strength to surrender our pride and selfishness and sin to Jesus, and then strength to love. We are able to love because God first loved us. The love that we have for others came from him, not the other way around. And then strength to love as, as we have been loved. We can love because God first loved us. And that love isn't emotional or sentimental. It's, it, it's action. Towards our family, our friends, our fellow body of Christ members and neighbors and even our enemies. And we know that that's not easy, and that, but, but that we can. We can love our enemies if we have the strength and God is working in our hearts and in our minds. It's growing deep, deep roots into Christ and the Word of God so that even in hard times and troubled times in our life, our roots are deep into the moisture and the nutrients that uh, were built on a strong root system and foundation. And so when those dry times and those arid times are up here, our, our tree, our, our life is still producing fruit, even though maybe it shouldn't be or it's being come against by the world. 
dwelling in him. It's, it's being in awe of how great and big and present and powerful God is, grasping as much as we can on this side of eternity the width and length and height and depth of the love of Christ, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. To the depths of the darkness and into eternity, Jesus will be with us. It surpasses our willful and mental knowledge of that very love and that we continue to ascend the staircase of growth. We are to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, if you've ever played a video game, some of you older adults, maybe, maybe you've never even touched a video console in your entire life, but you have a smartphone and maybe you've dabbled in Candy Crush a little bit or some type of game like that. Generally, the goal of these games is to level up. Because when you level up, you get more coins. You get more helps, and you could, they can help you cheat. You know, like, give me a free word for 20 gold coins in my crossword puzzle app that I, that I use, right? Um, several games. Uh, you know, if, if you're playing a game... I don't know, there's a couple games that I've played just a few times. And um, the question often is, what level are you? You leveled up yet? Because when you get to a certain level in some of these games, then you get the big weapons, right? Then you get the big powerful stuff. But only until you get to that level. I mean, that's one way to think of the Christian life. That, that it's, it's, it's leveling up. It's, it's, it's just growing in depth of relationship with Jesus Christ. It's at a different level, a completely different level. And as we live and we trust and we pray and we meditate on God's word, every day we grow, every day we are filled just a little bit more. I want to share an illustration with you this morning, and hopefully you can see this. Wish we could get it up on the big screen, but... Um, so this cup right here represents our life. And we're to be filled with the fullness of God. But, but in our life, um, there are often things like anxiety, fear, maybe doubt that what we've been told is true is actually true. Um, one of these rocks could represent sin. Uh, just lots of things that we struggle with. And when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, and, and it's, it's not that we don't receive or are filled not at all by God's love. But as we, as we think about our lives and we think about those things that in our life, we can see that those things are taking space that God wants to fill. And we don't have as much joy and peace. The fruit of the Spirit struggles in our life. Our, our life struggles to produce the fruit of the Spirit because there's a limited amount of the Spirit in us. If, and, and I realize all illustrations break down at some point, but when we, when we come to a place where we've, we've trusted God in a situation and, and, and he's shown us that he's faithful and that anxiety is taken out of our, out of our life and then, and then, I don't know, maybe we... Maybe we've been holding a grudge against someone and we, we forgive them or we let that go. And then, uh, then, I don't know, fear. Maybe the last couple sermon series has really, has really uh, God has really touched your heart in, in regards to some of the fear that you've had in your life and, and he's removed that. Maybe it's... Uh, 
Maybe it's trusting him for, for a decision and you just can't seem to let it go. And maybe it's sin. Maybe there's sin in your life and you just you don't want to give it up. I mean, you really don't want to give it up. <laughs> but see, as we go through the journey of life and God removes that stuff, God, God helps us to... to let it go, what does it do? It creates more space for God to be able to pour more and more and more of his love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And, and at, a, at one point in time, it will just overflow. And when it overflows, to me, it splashes on other people. And they, they see it as well. Well, what if you've, you know, you're, you've been... Uh, dump a little bit of this out. What if you've been a Christ follower for a long time? At the beginning of the series, we talked about the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and how, how we can kind of think at one point in time in our life, if it was years and years ago that we, that we surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, we checked that box, and then it's like we move on to more, more mature things. More, uh, we wouldn't use the word important, but at, as, as far as it goes with how much time we spend thinking about it in our life, um, more important things. We get apathetic, or, um, or we just get used to sin, and, uh, and that begins to take that fullness that we have and just kind of discolor it, make it dark, right? I, I mean, because that's what happens. Those times in your life when you're making not good choices and you know those choices aren't good, that God is not honored by those choices, but you've become comfortable with keeping those in your, you've been comfortable with that sin, this is what happens. That joy and that love that God wants to have us filled with is just, turns color. It's darker. But then when we, we repent of that and, and we just constantly allow God to pour his love and his spirit in us. He can, again, change our joy. So where are you in the fullness of God? I mean, is your, I don't know. You feel like your life is full of rocks. Is there something that's keeping you from experiencing peace and joy in your life? See, God works those things out. He creates the room for that fullness to be filled up. And as he fills us, we realize and we understand and we receive the fullness of God's love and God's grace. And Paul says that you may know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And as climbers of this staircase, there's times where we will become short of breath. There's time, there will be times where we are looking for an out. We might even be a little bit, I don't know, anxious, giddy about the future. And of all the things for Paul to pray for, the fullness of God, strength from the Holy Spirit, 
to experience love and loving others. We need all of that. And none of it can be attained by our own human strength. See, this is where we sort of fall short, I think. This is where, where I struggle. I know you might get tired of me saying this, but it's absolutely true. Eternal life and fullness cannot be attained by ourselves. Can't be done. Oh, we want to try. I do. I love to accomplish things. I love to set my heart on something and my will on something and get her done. Don't tell me I can't do anything because I will prove to you that I can. But there's just no way. So many people in our world, in so many different world religions, are misled in this area. You just have to be good enough. You just have to get that scale of the good to outweigh the scale of the bad. That It's impossible. An all-perfect, righteous God, there's no way that we can create enough good in our life to outweigh the bad. Because oftentimes, if we're not in and, and the love of Christ isn't flowing out of us, that love or those things that we're doing that are good, we only do them to make us look good. Well, then, okay, then, then that's not outweighing the bad, right? Because it's selfish. I mean, don't get me wrong. Again, I realize I'm kind of walking a tightrope here, but walking the road of life following Jesus definitely takes discipline. We have to be intentional about it, but Jesus has to place us on that road. We can't get there on our own. I mean, look at all of the other world religions, Buddhism, Islam, Mormonism, and so many others. They put all the responsibility on being good enough. (laughs) And then the question is, as you're living your life, have I ever crossed that line? What is good enough? And, and what if I do a bad thing? Do, the, do I then, is it like one step forward and four steps back? See, God doesn't operate that way. He's sorely disappointed when we fail. Absolutely he is. But he doesn't yank the rug of salvation out from under us when we mess up and make a poor choice. He corrects us. He loves us. He strengthens us. I mean, the... The, key, the two key words here are, but God. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God reached into humanity after we screwed it up. He sacrificed himself. He lived the perfect life. He was the perfect unblemished land. He didn't deserve what he got. He willingly took it for us, for you and for me. And he didn't just snap his fingers and say, well, all that sin is gone, right? It's just ash. No, he bore the consequence and the pain for all of it. And as we sit here today, no matter where you are,
you might be hearing Jesus knocking at the door of your heart. Whispering, I love you. Let me in. Surrender your life right now. I read this on Facebook yesterday. Here's a picture that I saw, and I'm, since it was on Facebook, it's free game, it's public material, I can talk about it all I want. This was the description that I read. This picture, I lift up my eyes, hangs in our home. This is Dick Young that wrote this. And Dave Pauly painted it for me as a gift for our friendship and love for his daughter, Chris Lovato, at a time of crisis. There are other prints, but I have the original. See, I saw somebody post something about that, and I'm glad I read this, because I'm like, so how many, how many pictures of these are there? There's one really special one. It's hanging in Dick's house. It depicts a caricature of the church I pastored in Cheyenne, Wyoming, called Cheyenne Hills. Well, that, it's a caricature, because Cheyenne Hills doesn't look anything like that. <laughs> Cheyenne Hills, me... And my favorite horse. What was your horse's name? Dollar. 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 I shouldn't even ask the question because I knew I wasn't going to be able to hear you, Dick. Here's the thing. Dick used the easel on which he painted that picture on to draw an illustration for him called the bridge. Many of us have seen it. Many of us know it. That illustrates how we can have eternal life with Jesus. Dick said, I asked Dave if he had ever crossed the bridge and asked Jesus to forgive him of his sin and take control of his life, and he wasn't sure. Dick says, I asked him, or I said, would you like to be sure? To which he responded, yes. Dick says, I coached him in a simple prayer. Then asked him, where are you now on that drawing? To which he, he responded, over here with Jesus. When was that? What year? Uh, probably 2004. Okay, 2004. So 16 years ago. David died last night at the VA hospital in Sturgis, South Dakota. That's the joy of what Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. Folks, there's no greater comfort at the death of a loved one than to know they're with Jesus. And David's daughter replied to that message and was so very thankful that her dad knew Jesus. And then Dick says, if this sparks an interest, check the bridge, check out the bridge on YouTube and you can, you can see that. And I, I would encourage you to do just that. Is Jesus calling your heart today and you've never opened the door, you've never responded? That change that happens in our lives, getting to the other side of the bridge, that's not on our own power. That's not of us. That's of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own. I have another illustration for us this morning. 
of this glove. Some of you have seen this, but maybe not to the extent. This glove was created to work. It's a work glove. It's got good stitches. It's, it's kind of expensive. Do you know that? But this glove was made to work. So, glove, pick up the Bible. Not surprised, are you? So maybe, maybe what that glove needs is just it, it needs encouragement. Come on, glove! You can do it! Well, that's not working. Maybe, maybe it just needs some training. You know, some discipleship, some one-on-one. Okay, you take this thumb and you put this finger Oh, I know what this glove needs. It needs friends. Right? Here's some other gloves. Maybe that will help that glove do the work that it was created to do. Glove, pick up the Bible. Maybe it just needs to work harder. No, here's the thing, right? Even though that glove was designed to work, it's not going to be able to do that work until it is full, right, with the one thing that can make it do the work, that can enable it to do what it was created to do. Pick up things. Hold barbed wire. Make fence. Dig holes. I mean, that's, that is the only way that we can live the Christian life is if we are filled with Christ. He does the work. We are created to work. God created us for a specific reason. He gave us life. But we can only live that life that he created us for if he is in it. We have the capacity, but we don't have the power. That comes from Jesus Christ in us. That's how we receive salvation. That's how we are able to know this love that surpasses knowledge that, and, and, and for us to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then Paul ends his prayer for the Ephesians for us this way. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What if, if the high, deep, long, and wide wasn't enough to proclaim the power and all presence of God? His closing doxology in this prayer is a reminder of who God is and what he is capable of. Turn that note sheet over and you're going to see seven spaces. Seven reasons why we can join Paul in praying this prayer. 
Seven reasons that Paul prays this for the Ephesians. Seven reasons we should pray this prayer for ourselves. Seven reasons that we can and must pray this on behalf of our friends. Seven reasons as Christ followers, as children of God, that we can have joy and peace as we celebrate communion this morning. Number one, God is able to do. He's active. He's not asleep. He's not dead. He is alive. He is able to do. Number two, God is able to do what we ask. He hears your prayer. Every word, every prayer, every request, every confession, every praise, God hears it. Doesn't matter where you are. You're standing by a fire truck on a fire with the fire bearing down on you. God is there. You're cleaning a toilet in the grade school of the elementary school. God is there. Number three, God is able to do what we think. You don't see, you don't even have to say it out loud. God is that great. He hears what we think. He reads our thoughts. Number four, God is able to do all that we ask or think. See, nothing is impossible for him. He knows it all, and he can perform it all. Number five, God is able to do more. His expectations are higher than ours. God can do way more. Well, actually, that's number six. God is able to do much more. He can do abundantly more. God does not pour out his grace in calculated measure. Ah, I'm just going to give you that much. And then finally, you English teachers are going to love me. Number seven, God is able to do very much more. (laughs) Immeasurably more, Paul says. We can't calculate it. We We may not understand it. We may wish it looked different. But it is immeasurable. Even the greatest minds and the biggest imaginations couldn't come up with what God can really do. That's our God. That's who created all things. That's who created you. Maybe you, maybe you look like this. You know, maybe you're, you're all cotton and you're a little softer. I don't know, maybe your outside is, well, this is sort of leather but soft. Oh, this one's kind of pretty. God created each of us. We, of course, screwed it up. But God didn't say, forget it and walk away. He said, let me fill you to the full measure of who I am. 
and let's see what can happen in our life and in our friend's life and in our neighbor's life. And that's what we celebrate and we remember this morning as we partake of communion. God knew that we'd forget or that we would put rocks in our glass and be apathetic or not remember or not celebrate. So he gave us communion to remember. And from the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. 